0: Disenfranchised from everything. Oh, well, I fall up and I fall down. I was born.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It's a very special episode here. Now we did miss last week. We took off because of the election, because uh, all the uh, the everything indicated that nobody wanted to talk about anything but the election. Is that fair to say, Dad?
2: That's absolutely fair to say.
1: It was, and it's fine now. Okay, the the election is. Uh, I, I mean, we're moving forward because we're an apolitical show. We we don't want to even talk about. it. We did get censured, by the way, uh, if you will. I don't know if it's censured or censored in this instance, but we did put up a. Uh, a post and we were just saying, this is crazy that, that voter fraud was actually something they were talking about, uh and and serving one term presidencies. this was all something we covered on the very first episode of this show. And I posted that and then Facebook put the banner over it saying, see the election results from 2020 in order to confirm. I was like, No, we're not putting out fake news, man. We're just talking about Talk talking about, about Grover Cleveland, man. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I think I, they
2: finally have the election results from Grover Cleveland. Uh, yeah, we're election. expecting any
1: time. It, it actually yet yeah, <laughs> turns out Benjamin Harris won a second term. Who knew? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, very excited here. We got a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, a couple shout outs we have to take care of up front. But who's behind the ones and twos, Dad?
2: Who's behind the ones and twos? Who else could it possibly be? On hell, early hell, release. The gangs all here. We have <laughs> the, the man. Back from, from medical, medical school. Legend, <laughs> the Kahuna. What's
0: up, guys? It has been too long.
2: We missed you, oh, buddy.
1: Man. I'm happy you're back.
0: I'm happy to be back. That's Jesus, <laughs> oh man, I've been looking forward to this ever since Maine told me you guys were coming back. I was excited post the election, and then you were like, "No episode." I was like, "Fuck you."
1: <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a timetable thing, and then pretty much, I mean, I tr- like, it's one of those things where you're just like, "Time to stay." If the Giants lose the Super Bowl. Uh, I guarantee you I'll be in the age of social media. I'll be off social media for at least two weeks after that. We're like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. Even if they win, I don't even want to hear about it because just let me enjoy my moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Social media ruins everything. I think we can all agree on that.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. For
1: sure. But I am happy you're back, buddy. Yeah, um,
0: San Quentin was a bitch. That's. <laughs> I got your sister Carrie out though.
1: Yeah, I was, are, you uh, sure? are you sure you were in San Quentin and not Eastern State Penitentiary? Oh, a little.
0: Ah, shit! I was at the <laughs> wrong prison.
1: <laughs> no, Carrie was in here. Um, something about coming for you. I don't know what it means. Uh, and then she handed me a bloody towel that I'm supposed to give you. I don't know what it means, but she's got the evidence. <laughs> But I'm excited here today. Uh, We got a good one, man. Kahuna's is back in studio. LP, this was you. You picked this loser.
2: Oh, I did, yeah. And it's, you know, depending on who you're talking to as to whether he's a loser or not. But uh,
0: an LP original.
2: All right, all right. Well, it's just happens to happen upon kind of a thing oh we got a poor sap today no not really so much a poor sap but he's pretty awesome depending it, on what part of the country exactly in.
1: <laughs> he's a geographically based loser i might oh, say oh okay so it's uh depending on now we're in the great state of new jersey of course at a shared universe podcast studio where mike and ming taking great care of us as always um and uh, if you guys like the show which uh, we want to say thank you to all of our supporters out there Real quick shout out to uh, my buddy, Mike Harrington over at Gas Digital, who not only is a uh, outstanding producer, of one of the best podcast networks in the country, also uh, won his first MMA fight on uh, Saturday, I believe, over at Ellis Mania. So very proud of him. Big, uh, big supporter of the show, big helper of the show and just a, an all around great guy. So thank I'm, I'm very proud of you for beating somebody up, Harrington. OK, you hear me? <laughs> But um, over on Patreon for just $5 a month, if you wanted to get bonus content of this show and help us to continue to keep the Tuesday shows for free. um, Last Tuesday, you got an idea of what the world would be like without American Loser. And I got a couple of of, uh, upset uh, text messages. And I explained, no, don't worry, we're going to be back here. But we couldn't work it out with schedules and everything. But we're back, man. We're ready to roll. And dad, there's a quote from a Batman movie delivered by Michael Caine to Christian Bale's Batman. That uh, when he's just describing the Joker and he says, uh, Master Wayne, some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> and this guy watched a good portion of the world burn, of his world. <laughs> Others, just the entire South en route to Atlanta. Um, this is going to bring us to today's loser, a hero in the North, a barbarian in the South. Almost, uh, By the way, I know this for a fact. He's considered a, a cursed word in the South, if you say his last name depending on where you're at. Uh,
2: he and, whose name should not be mentioned. Exactly.
1: Who? Who? By the way, we're doing a great job of this. We're really drumming up a little bit of uh, uh, interest in it. Of course, now the name of the episode is going to be the guy's name, so everybody already knows who we're talking about. A political unicorn, okay? When I do mean this, a political unicorn. Uh, today's loser is the legendarily infamous.
0: This dude's name better not be John Smith or something. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> okay.
1: It, it's going to live up. It's not Kahuna. um it's Kahuna adjacent. Okay. I'll say that
0: it's got the same gravitas. <laughs> okay, all you right. tell me.
1: J- judge the gravitas of this when you're ready, William Tecumseh Sherman.
0: Well, all right, <laughs> Tecumseh.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a middle name can often tell you a lot about a person. Uh my middle name is Patrick because uh we're stereotypes. Just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: don't know You're a why. Male.
0: <laughs> I hope this isn't indicative of this dude's story, but that just sounds like you call someone who's a degenerate. Like Tecumseh? that middle, yeah, you Tecumseh.
1: Oh, dude, I mean, uh Tecumseh, one of the most badass Native American tribal leaders ever. Really? He had the yep. first uh he's going to be an episode onto his uh, his own right, so I don't want to give too too much away, but
0: is that who he's named after?
1: Yes. Or, yes. Really? Okay. Yes.
0: What's the time period?
1: So he's going to, God damn it, Kahunas, let us set something up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Leave me alone. I haven't been back, okay? I'm trying to get into the groove of things. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no sweat there. I'll tell you what, LP, do you want to give us a little zeitgeist of the times here a little bit? Or? Uh, as far as his birth or uh, what What zeitgeist? Well, that, I'll tell you what, because Kahuna asked, he asked a dozen questions, all of them good. Yeah. All right. So in short, to answer uh, the questions. Tecumseh, now, going was,
2: to just keep quiet for a few
1: moments. We will, a, we'll <laughs> lead, we'll lead him into it. Well, uh, it, so the middle name of today's loser is Tecumseh. Tecumseh himself, the namesake of the aforementioned middle name, is one of the most legendary, uh, one of the first uh, pan-Indian um, alliances, if you will, to fight um, the settlers, the, the encroaching European settlers, or the American settlers, if you will. And Tecumseh was actually respected for how smart, Uh, How brilliant of a tactician he was and the courage that he showed in his fighting. So for him to be it it was a curious thing to be named after a legendary Native American. But if you were going to be named after one, this is a guy that's pretty cool to be named after.
2: He's right up there. I mean, we're um, because of the time period. I mean, we're we're in the early 1800s um, and Tecumseh is. You know, a name that the people of the to- of those times of that zeitgeist would certainly recognize as being a a, you know, a hated Indian or, or just at least well respected for what he was able to do for his people.
1: Feared being a, a big thing. So right. when the fear starts to go away because the threats subside, then you can start admiring characteristics. Right. Exactly. So. Um, but uh, today's guy and uh, Kahuna, you've noticed this in the past, too. I think we joked about it, that uh, there's so many talented people from Ohio, because if you're if you don't work really hard in Ohio, you can't leave Ohio. Um, oh, I can
0: talk now. <laughs> but no, I've heard that. Yeah, it's uh,
1: it's amusing how it works. Um,
0: oh, he's from Ohio. So,
1: so this guy is born. Uh, William Tecumseh Sherman is born February 8th, 1820 Lancaster, Ohio uh common for the time uh Willie T who was nicknamed uh by the way um what would you assume the shorthand for uh William Tecumseh Sherman would be what would be his nickname <laughs> we don't give your real name away but <laughs> big willie <that's-> <laughs> <laughs> uh, later he'll be known as uncle billy actually <laughs> true story um but as a as a boy he was
2: known as uh, cump cump <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shortened variation on Tecumseh. So, I mean, yep. it kind of makes sense. No,
0: nah, I'd make my friends call me Tecumseh. That name is too dope. Like,
2: <laughs> it is a good like, one.
0: Listen, you all just got to deal with it. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I'm surprised there's not an MC
1: out there using that as a moniker yet. Uh, that, that It makes sense. To, and oh, oh, just the light bulb just went off in his head. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, uh, so Willie T, as we'll call him for this, is uh, one of 11 kids. That's pretty common for the time to have a lot of kids. And his uh, judge lawyer father is the one who was the admirer of Tecumseh, who gave him the middle name, Tecumseh. Right.
2: It was so. his dad that gave him the, the Tecumseh name. Actually, there was some uh, some speculation that he was named Tecumseh and the William part of it didn't come until later. But that's an arguable point amongst historians Whoa, as okay. to whether he was William Tecumseh Sherman or was it Tecumseh Sherman later Upon his baptism that he was given the the first name, William. See so, that? I anyhow, didn't even know that one. His own his own autobiography. He credits himself as being William Tecumseh Sherman. But again, if you're taking your fact check from an autobiography, um, you know, <laughs> how do you how do you double check that one?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult when uh, the the you're disparate. You can't be fake news if it's coming from you. But that's a you know right.
2: As we saw with uh, some other losers in the past that uh, the only thing you really have to go on is by their own account that uh, that there's not too many cross-references that you can apply to that one.
1: Oh, yeah. Good old Calamity Jane. Well, who would know better than me for I was there? (laughs)
2: Listen to me. This is the way it went.
1: Well, uh, Willie T, uh, unfortunately, he's, uh, like I said, one of 11 kids, and his uh, father sadly passes away when uh, Cump is just uh, nine years old. So common for the time, uh, the Sherman kids would get fostered out to other families. Now, me as an adopted kid, I, I can say uh, a little bit uh, on this matter. I think it's pretty interesting. So um, he winds up living with the esteemed Ewing family. Uh, John Ewing was an Ohio senator. So imagine that you're um, you know, your dad's a lawyer, a judge type guy. And uh, so you're coming from a pretty respectable household. Then you get this tragedy that befalls you and you get fostered out to a even Potentially, I guess, higher class family, because uh, now um, the Ewing family is well thought of. And uh, John Ewing is a, an Ohio senator. And the family, as far as I can tell, cared for old Willie T as if he was one of their own, minus the part where later on down the road, Sherman marries one of their daughters, a.k.a. his foster sister. So,
2: yeah, he got a he got a whole family. uh all wrapped up into one neat package there. For, yeah, we
1: for know sure. what he's Googling on porno. Here's a story
2: <laughs> of a man named Willie. <laughs> it's very, very Brady Bunch of Jason. Yeah, yep, I would
1: absolutely. say so. Um, Sherman would learn, by the way, that uh, on the, the biological side, though, because he, he kept in touch with his biological siblings, that uh, he's a distant relative. This was pretty cool to find this out. Um, a distant relative is one of the founding fathers, a guy by the name of Roger Sherman who has the historical distinction you want to talk about being a little bit of everything all at once this guy is the only guy in human history that has signed the following documents he signed all four of what are known as the great papers in american history the continental association little known but super important the declaration of independence which is the kardashians of the documents everyone knows it, <laughs> there you, you know go. um the important but lesser esteemed Articles of Confederation, which they thought was going to be an improvement upon. Like now we actually are going to set the, the you know the parameters of a government here. And that the mentioned daily but understood minusculely U.S. Constitution. Right. So Willie T is related to Roger Sherman, who signed all four of those bad boys. That's, right.
2: So he's he's a big he's a big wig in the in the early start of our country.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, Roger Sherman is kind of a big inspiration. Now, what's crazy is that. I would say William Tecumseh Sherman winds up becoming significantly more famous than him.
2: I would say, yeah. Well, wars will do that for you.
1: That's the the beauty of it. So there's uh the the Sherman men are thinkers and uh, um, philosophers and writers and whatnot. And then uh, old Willie T had a, a wild streak to him. Man, he liked to he liked to cut it up a little bit. So. Um, now, while Roger Sermon does serve as a, an inspiration for him, uh, his one brother, John, by the way, serves as a senator in his later life. Yep. And his foster siblings would also hold prominent positions in society. The most intriguing of which, and I'm pretty excited about this one. His foster brother, later brother-in-law, Thomas Ewing Jr., would serve as the defense attorney for the military trials of the Lincoln conspirators, which included dun 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 lose Mary Surratt so
2: yeah Yeah, I mean his his own family his biological family and his foster family there is a lot of very influential powerful people his older brother became a federal judge his younger brother John Sherman was elected to the US Senate uh, and later served as both Secretary of the Treasury and Secretary of the State so that's that's doing pretty good for you know having somebody that uh, you can call upon Uh, and several of his uh, Ewing foster siblings rose to, uh, you know, prominence to uh, high positions themselves. So, And then his own foster father was a uh, um, uh, a senator as well. So, I mean, that was pretty good and, and later served on, on uh, a cabinet, uh, cabinet position.
1: Yeah, he would later be. We'll, we'll get into that, too, because I, I do want to cover. That's going to be an interesting um list for the wedding when you marry your foster sister is like, oh, are you a bride side or um yeah,
2: which side? Oh, is wait, it on? it's the same. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. Um, but that's where the story is going to take um, the path that it needs to be on here. Like we're pointing out a little bit. Willie T's got some fire to him. He is a, a redheaded uh, bright student with a penchant for uh, palling around with the boys. He's very popular, uh, you know, hanging around, you know, kind of bumping elbows. He's he's a dude. I kind of picture him as a comic. So I'm not stealing your casting couch for later Kahuna, but In my mind i'm picturing a little bill burr for this guy (laughs) all right you know um
0: yeah i got some documents i need signing
1: yeah what do you think that's the worst um but his i hate boston (laughs) (laughs) hate boston jesus philly philly bill burr hated philly oh it was philly (laughs) i thought it was boston this whole time (laughs) he's from boston but uh Anyway, his foster father, uh, Willie T's foster father, locked him down a spot at a little place known as the United States Military Academy, a.k.a. West Point. So,
2: Yeah, and Sherman uh, William uh, Tecumseh, Willie, Willie T, uh, he's only 16 years old at the time when he's entering uh, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. But uh, you know, John Ewing uh, was was uh, senator, so it was still in the, in those times. You were still had to have a congressional appointment type of thing. So, I mean, he had the people to put him in into position. And like you say, he was a smart guy, good good student. wasn't so much on the whole spit and polish. Uh, he was a rough aspect of it, but uh, blue collar guy a little was, bit. He got by. I mean, I think he graduated from West Point sixth in his class. Um, would have been fourth. Would have been fourth. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been a little better if he paid a little more attention to the whole spit and polish. You know, your your breast button needs to be a, a little better uh, shine on it or whatever. Just but, uh, a
1: fun factoid for contrast. I think you guys would appreciate this. Is um, to as my father's saying that he's not. You know, Sherman's a bright student. He's excelling academically. He's respected by everybody. He's very popular. He's like, you know, he's again, he's kind of got. Uh, a little bit of a comedian vibe to him, right? You know that very popular, hanging out in the corner, cracking jokes. Or, but he's good at what he's doing. He knows his shit. But he's not. Uh, the buttons aren't polished to a certain degree. There's little things. Here. So um, he would have been fourth in his class had he didn't, you know, have this kind of a, a fuck that attitude, if you will, for lack of a better term. Um, and he never held any office, and he held the, the rank of private. He was still a cadet the entire time he was there, but he would hold the rank of private, which was really just a rank in title. Yeah, he wasn't a cadet, kind of a,
2: a ranked cadet.
1: So get a load of this one. Um, for contrast, Robert E. Lee, who would later become one of Sherman's uh, enemies, if you will, they'd be fighting on the opposite sides of the Civil War, which is right. where Sherman would reach his greatest fame, as would Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee, over four years at West Point, received zero demerits all right i believe there's one weird story where they tried to give him one and then it wound up not sticking or something like that but right. four years absolute perfection robert e lee every button is polished perfectly yeah, every hair in place he's right? absolutely perfect um and uh so by contrast william tecumseh sherman on average 100 to 150 demerits Per year. Per year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Wait, so. how
0: long are you at military school for usually? Like, well, how long was he there?
1: I think typically it's a four-year. Um, yeah,
2: there, there was uh, there was a little interesting note on that one because I think when he went to West Point, when Sherman went to West Point, you know, he was in the class of 1840. It was, a, uh, I believe, a five-year situation at that point. And then because of the Civil War, once the Civil War broke out, there was a, a rush to get some of these guys through. And it went from five years to four years. That's why there's a, there's like two uh, different graduating classes of West Point for 1861 because that's when the, the Civil War oh. broke out. But, yeah, there was some some kind of a thing. But, yeah, the West Point's strict set of rules and demerits and all that kind of stuff. that. Um, old Willie T wasn't quite so <laughs> proficient uh, at that aspect of Did it you, as uh, Robert E Lee was.
0: Would you say he was the John Belushi Animal House for the West Point, or would you see, or would you see?
2: Not necessarily that. No, I. Mean, he was you, said you said comedic. You said comedic. I don't think it went to that point. But I mean, and he was very good in in a lot of the other things. He excelled in a lot of the other things. But like as we said, he is...
1: would have been fourth in his class, but the demerits dropped him down to sixth. What was, so,
0: there, what was the demerits? Like, was it just being mischievous or like just him say, being him?
1: Him kind of like it, it show up late, uh, you know, maybe um, not not go the extra mile on something because he was a bright kid and, and school has been shown demonstratively to be terrible for people who were uh, you, you know born bright ah. so <laughs> but none of that seems to matter though good old uh, sherman seems i'll say this I, I think this is a good way to phrase it for you um sherman has a strong sense of who he is okay <laughs> and uh the best military minds typically in my experience people that i served with that i was very happy to be serving with whether it be officers you know fellow uh petty officers in the navy or just you know some of the chiefs i i got to work with um The best military minds are the ones that are uh, that that bend but don't break, you know, so it's yeah, I accept all the programming here, but I'm also going to maintain a sense of individualism. So I'm not going to complete because there are people that you meet in the military who are just zombies, you know, because there's not a whole lot of material to work with in the first place. (laughs) But Sherman's got a strong sense of who he is Um, now. He does. uh, He finds himself his first assignment fresh out of uh, the academy, much like the host of this very podcast. Sent down to Florida on military orders, Dad. <laughs> right. What's what's going we on down went, there? How
0: long was it? We went 20 minutes without you referring to you were in the military. That's a
2: <laughs> that was. I think
0: that's a new record.
2: It's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he graduates West Point. As I say, he's sixth in his class, so he's he's no uh, um, um, show up. But uh, he's stationed down in Florida, and we're fighting the second, not the first, but the second Seminole War in Florida, the Seminole Indians. So. Um, he did see some action down there. Uh, and, you know, his first introduction to life uh, down south, he's he's liking the the whole southern aspect or way of doing things. And he makes he makes, a, you know, uh, a name for himself, if you will, while in the Seminole, second Seminole war in Florida.
1: Yeah, he's with the third artillery out there. So he is seeing action, which is what he wanted. I mean, this guy is a dude who signed up because he wanted to fight.
2: Yeah, and at that time, it's important that you said that he was with the ar- artillery. Um, those that on the top of their class um, would either be uh, sent to as an engineer or to the artillery. And the rest of the jabronis would be put in as second lieutenants in the uh, in the infantry. So just by him being appointed to an artillery position is just another sign that you know he was um, a, a pretty intelligent guy, that he was... He was coming away from West Point, not just barely making it, but they put him into a in a named position. It was it was tough to get into the artillery.
1: For contrast, by the way, uh, again uh, Sherman graduates uh, very high in his class. Uh, you know who finished last in his class in West Point? That's another loser section.
2: General George, will eventually become George Ar- General George Ar- Armstrong Custer.
1: Yep, Custer finished last yeah. in his class at West Point. Damn. So. Uh,
0: well, someone's got to be last.
1: That's the truth. That's that's, right. how, that's still how you look at it. It's almost like being Mr. Uh, irrelevant in the NFL draft. You're or still getting anchor, that
2: contract. The anchorman if you went to Annapolis, right?
1: Hey, that's the move. Um, now, Sherman will continue to rise to the ranks uh, during what's known as the U.S. War with Mexico, which is a fascinating war, by the way, because, first of all, so many people know so little about it. We broke it down a little bit with the San Patricios episode. Um, But many future Civil War officers and soldiers are getting their first major combat experience during the U.S. war with Mexico. Now, this follows the Alamo. People confuse that. The Texas War for Independence is not the same thing here. But Sherman gets sent out to during this war while Robert E. Lee is fighting, you know, gallantly, um, you know, down at uh, crazy battles over in Mexico and on the Texas border. And we're really starting to figure out this manifest destiny thing. And and Polk is just saying, we're taking this. It's ours now. Uh, A wild time there. And poor Sherman gets sent out to California, which is already relatively settled. Okay. And he's doing mostly administrative duties out there. It would seem like that. That would be part of the story to skip over. It would be, if not for the tiny part where I found this fascinating. He arrives in a little tiny California town off the coast known as uh, Iba Buena. Do you know what Iba Buena is, Cahoons? No. So Iba Buena, he uh, is where Sherman arrives in 1848. Two days after Sherman arrives, the town changes its name to San Francisco.
2: <laughs> You've heard of that one, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wild, right? I had no clue there was a, a name for it because I thought that would have fit the motif. But Iba Buena is apparently the original name of San Francisco. Wow! So they uh, they changed their name. Now get this too, because I, 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 again, we have to get into the um, the the. We know where the meat of this story is. So we're just doing a, a little of the um, the fluff work right now for it, but. Um, Two days after he arrives, they change the name to uh, San Francisco, right? And he's part of an assay team that's going to I – sh- I shit you not, guys – determines the validity of gold being discovered out in California, which – this is 1848, remember? So, what's going to happen in 1849, Dad? Is there going to uh, be
2: – 47, the California gold rush. I mean, he's, he's out there. Um, he's stationed in California and is, a, you know, a, a remote Jersey connection because – He is the adjutant under um, Stephen W. Carney, um, the same Carney that Carney, New Jersey, is named after. Pat
1: Dowden is just shaking his head at home and goes, "I can't (laughs) believe they snuck Jersey into Sherman." We still
2: got it in there. Uh, Now there's a a couple of different uh, famous Carneys because Stephen W. Carney was one of the guys that really kind (laughs) of how do we put it. Politically correct, liberated California from the from the Mexican <laughs> government. Um, but uh, um, Stephen Carney also has a nephew, Phil Carney, who made a big name for himself during the uh, this, during the Civil War, during the Mexican War as well. But uh, um, later a lot on. of interconnects. We a lot a, a, a lot a lot, a lot of interconnects here. Absolutely. Um, and then he also um, Sherman also um, after Carney steps down or is uh resigns he is then um adjunct or serving under richard b mason Uh, and that's that's the guy that really was credited if you will as to when these whole gold rush or these gold findings were first coming through that you know they're finding gold uh big time in uh, sutter's mill and everything else uh it's um sherman who pushes mason to investigate that and start the whole assay team and everything else. And it actually helps Mason write the letter back home to Polk, President Polk. Because, again, we're on the opposite sides of the of the continent here. And and news travels very slowly because it has to go by ship around Cape Horn. Um, But messages are sent or this letter that's composed in part by um, Sherman Uh, goes back and then it's uh, at the State of the Union address that President Polk is given where it's finally announced, yeah, they discovered gold in California. You know, see, it was really good that we went to war with Mexico because now (laughs) we've got California and now we just found gold out there. And this is the same time where we also have another Lewis reception where uh, I don't even know this one. Yeah, well, Emperor Norton is Ah, in San Francisco right around (laughs) the same time too. A a previous episode where we had the the only American emperor. emperor so that's probably
0: Norton. why they changed the name. The emperor decreed.
1: <laughs> <It's
2: a laughs> right. Probably was
0: go. like, ah, this old name sucks. What about San Francisco?
1: Good old emperor coming in to make things better for everybody. It's so up. I mean,
2: he's, he's in uh, Norton is in California during this whole time, too, where golds are being discovered and fortunes are made and lost in this whole, in this whole time span. As a matter of fact, uh, um, Sherman actually um, resigns from the army and goes into uh, business himself. But I'll let you uh, take the take the timeline along here. Well, uh, just to jump to 1850 here for a second.
1: So the obviously the gold rush is happening, uh, is underway, if you will. In 1850, now at the rank of captain, Sherman is going to marry his foster sister. So it's Greg Brady marrying Marcia to a degree, as Kahuna said earlier. <laughs> right. Um, his foster father, now father in law, is serving as the secretary of the interior to President Zachary Taylor, who was in attendance along with his entire cabinet. So you got this star studded uh, D.C. wedding for sure. It's a, a cabinet member's daughter is marrying a high ranking officer within the army who's distinguished himself already for his service.
2: So yeah, now they were engaged for a long period of time. I think it was like 10 years. So, um, you know, there was a definite interest there for a long period of time that uh, my uh, mm-hmm. My stepsister, my foster sister, is definitely looking pretty good. Um, well, they, and they were Catholic, in and he was Presbyterian. He marries her, Miss uh, Ellen Boyle Ewing, and she's the daughter of uh, Thomas Ewing. He was the Secretary of the Interior, like you said. At the wedding ceremony, how's this for a guest list? I mean, you've you've got a large uh, um, celebration or um, uh, with this wedding and. Uh, some of the people that are showing up for the as the wedding guests, uh, Daniel Webster, Henry Clay, uh, T. H. Uh, Benton, who was a big time uh, politico at the time, uh, President Zachary Taylor and his entire cabinet. So <laughs> there's a there's a lot of uh, big swinging dicks you, in the there room. Like, a lot of people you might like to get to know. He's a fine he's a fine lad that, that William Sherman.
1: And if you go to somebody's wedding, you typically remember their name. You yeah. know what I mean? So now that's the thing. Their name is the rep, uh, the reputation. That's going to come into uh, you would think this would be the start of the next portion of his major um, military career. However, within three years of getting married, Sherman resigns from his commission in the army. He's uh, a lot of people said he was bored because he wasn't seeing action. That was like a a big portion of it. And uh, he his goal at the time is he's going to go into being a bank manager. So he's going to be the manager for a bank, a major branch um, over in San Francisco. This, again, sounds like a boring time in his life, but only William Tecumseh Sherman in t- classic American loser fodder fashion um, could happen to do this one. I don't know if you picked up on this, Dad, but during his time as a banker, he was involved in not one, but two shipwrecks. Yeah, two different shipwrecks, one of which um, he actually he survived both of them, obviously, because there's more story after this. <laughs> right. He the old Tecumseh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good old Cump floating to the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But uh, again, it would sound like it would be a boring time in his life, but he survives two shipwrecks. One of them, he legit floats through what's known as the Golden Gate Strait, you know, where the bridge is now. He floats through that on the hull of a capsized ship. Where it's just, he's literally floating towards, you know, his... On the own. wreckage. So yeah. that's what yeah. happened
0: to the Mary Celeste. Dude, it pretty, <laughs>
1: it's so close to... Uh, I just picture Tom Hanks and Castaway, where, but it's just William Tecumseh Sherman. He's just got a dodgeball named Tecumseh. <laughs> See, not
0: <laughs> even. I picture Johnny Depp, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's the best pirate I've ever seen. Comes in on the sinking ship. As he's sinking? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right.
1: There's something to that, man. It's, but this guy's life is nuts. It really is. Um, and again, we haven't even gotten to the shit that he's famous for yet. Uh, For all of his bravado in battle in the military, though, Sherman did not enjoy city life in bustling San Francisco. Uh, Luckily, again, as we mentioned earlier, and as Kahuna said, uh, an emperor would soon take over the city and set things right. Thank (laughs) God. Good old Norton patron saint of American loser. Um, Sherman would bounce around the uh, the wife and kids. By the way, he married into a Catholic family. He himself was Presbyterian. Um, so the, the kids, uh, the wife wanted to have the kids educated in a Catholic manner, and a lot of them were going to go to Notre Dame. Um, so that's out in Indiana. So the family's kind of scattered around out there. He's going to go from California to New York trying to figure out this banking manager kind of a thing here. And then after his bank branch closes, Sherman actually finds himself in Kansas where uh, he's living with uh, some biological siblings, I think, and trying to attempt to work as a lawyer with little to no success.
2: Yeah. And in that particular time too, uh, Kansas, Missouri, was not exactly uh, a calm state of affairs with bleeding what Kansas. Was, you know, what was going on with the Politico uh, scene at that at that particular point in time. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the banking stuff, too, also had to do with uh, family connections, um, either. Um, Forster brothers, or brothers-in-law, or however you however you want to paint that it's one. It's a tough or one at that point. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, but yeah, that that whole thing. And then again, it's wild times in California that uh, um, there's um, different riotous gangs, if you will, that are ruling the streets in San Francisco. It's 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 just crazy, crazy times. Uh, and, and as I say, Kansas is not exactly. Uh, Cool, calm, and collected either that uh, there's a lot of uh, political opinions being <laughs> yeah. not, not talked about, uh, fought over. It's weird
1: that the Civil War is starting out in the polite Midwest. Um, but now uh, on the recommendation of some of his uh, army buddies, because that's the best part about the military is the people you meet and the connections you make down the road. Um, but... Sherman's able to land a gig. This is my favorite thing that we found about this guy, Dad. And there, there's a lot of good stuff here, but this is really marquee stuff.
2: Yeah, it doesn't work out for the banking industry. Uh, he, he, for a while in Kansas, he starts to get into some real estate law uh, and management firm with his brother's, brothers-in-law, if you want to call them brothers-in-law uh, or Forster brothers. Um, that's really not working out for him. So now in uh, 1859, by the referral of some... Uh, former um, West Point Pals, I guess, if you will, or, or Army army contacts, uh, he lands a job as a superintendent of the Louisiana State Seminary of Learning and Military Academy.
1: He's a, a popular and effective leader, Dad. I'm and not going to give it away.
2: Popular, he's a real popular superintendent. People are liking him. He's, he's a good guy. He's bringing people into, the, into this uh, institution of higher learning. And I believe as a, a quote of fact, about it's, him. It's so successful that uh, the, the uh, Louisiana State Seminary of Learning and Military Academy later becomes, uh, moves, and is renamed. Louisiana State University, also yeah. known as LSU. Go Tigers.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. So, uh, yep. The uh, and, and defending and those, champions. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons he got the job as superintendent is referrals of uh, a guy by the name of Braxton Bragg. Important uh, who, for later. Oh, tuck that one away. Important for later. Uh, who, once the Civil War starts, decides to uh, side with the Confederacy. And then another guy. uh P.G.T. Beauregard. Now, Mr. Beauregard um, was also a, you know, a Southern gentleman that later went, led the, the Confederate boys in the Civil War. But uh, I thought it was very interesting that uh, while he's superintendent of Louisiana, now again, we're in uh, 1859, beginning of 1860, 61, Um the shit storms are brewing. It, it's, yeah, there's storm clouds on the horizon, but the, fo- the shots have not yet been fired. Um, and a lot of people are saying, you know, that the, the, uh, a lot of the southern states are calling for secession from the Union. Now, uh, Willie Sherman was not an abolitionist by any stretch of the imagination. But he, well, he had and, a
1: fondness, too, just because he was stationed in the South that you said there are like, these aren't bad people down here. You right. Know what I mean, that's what he was doing, And he. Um, He was pretty welcome in the Southern society because he was the, you know, his father was a a Whig, which they, depending on how you want to uh, phrase it, again, we we don't do the politics thing because it doesn't make sense back then. But uh, there there certainly were Whigs in the South that uh, were, um, would find an opportunity to get to know a guy like Sherman to be something advantageous to them. So um, he had a sympathy for the South. He he sympathized with uh, their agrarian system, if you will, the agricultural-based way of life that they had. Not a firm abolitionist at all, right? Uh, one thing he's very firm on, though, Dad, is what he is. You can't really. He's not. He's not willing to come down hard on the South. He's not really a total abolitionist either. What's the one thing he says? I. This is a line yeah, you we, do not cross. We got, yeah,
2: we do. We have to preserve the Union. We're going to be the Union forever. Um, that you know, he is dead set against secession. That uh, you're not going to leave the Union. You're not going to secede from the Union. Well,
1: Sherman goes full on Merlin with this. And this is the trust me, there's a couple more pop culture references we're going to have to make to, to break things down. But he goes full Merlin when he learns the news of South Carolina's decision to secede from the Union. He legitimately predicts the entire future of the war in one very memorable quote. Sherman is to have said. The following while pacing angrily and simultaneously crying like he was angry, crying like he was There's a sadness to his uh, as he was screaming
2: emotions got to kind of like a corn song. Right.
1: Um, (laughs) Here's the quote. You people of the South don't know what you're doing. This country will be drenched in blood, and God only knows how it will end. It's all folly, madness, a crime against civilization. You people speak so lightly of war, you don't know what you're talking about. War is a terrible thing. You mistake, too, the people of the North. They are a peaceable people, but an honest people, and they will fight, too. They are not going to let this country be destroyed without a mighty effort to save it. Besides, where are your men and appliances of war to contend against them? The North can make a steam engine, locomotive, railway car, hardly a yard of cloth or pair of shoes can you make. You are rushing into war with one of the most powerful, ingeniously mechanical and determined people on Earth right at your doors. You are bound to fail. Only in your spirit and determination are you prepared for war. In all else, you are totally unprepared. With a bad cause to start with, at first you will make headway, but as your limited resources begin to fail, shut out from the mis- markets of Europe as you sure will be, your cause will begin to wane. If your people will but stop and think, they must see in the end that you will surely fail.
2: Yeah, he was trying. He, I mean, he was he was adamant that these guys you, you, you can't secede. Maybe if you don't you don't agree with what's going on, but you can't secede from the union because you guys are gonna. As he said, drenched in blood, and you're gonna you're gonna fail ultimately. And I thought it was very interesting that the two guys that referred him to the job as superintendent of LSU hit this. This important was Braxton Bragg, who he will later fight against and win. And the other guy, PGT Beauregard, Uh, PT PGT Beauregard. was the guy that fired on Fort Sumter. He was the guy that ordered mm-hmm. the cannonade of, of Fort Sumter that started the Civil War. So, uh, And I thought it was an also an interesting twist that Beauregard is firing on Fort Sumter. And who's the commander of Fort Sumter is a guy by the name of Anderson. And Anderson was the artillery instructor at West Point. So Beauregard was the student of anderson while he was at west point so now the student is firing upon the teacher so it's kahuna shooting something.
1: at uh ming, the yeah. fire in a at ming.
2: <laughs> comes down to a shooting war and now my student is uh, firing on the on the teacher um and uh sherman is going to face uh, old PGT Beauregard. I can't. I can't see that without seeing Beauregard. You know what gets you stuck um, on it? I'm waiting to see if Kahuna knows it, this. Do you know the, Do absolutely. you know
1: the reference I'm about to make for the last name Beauregard? You're going to love it because it,
0: it, it. I really want to say what I think it is, but I'm really embarrassed. This is it from Scooby-Doo? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So
1: the it, very
0: first episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs>
1: one of the, uh, the so it was a, a VHS that Carrie and I had growing up as kids. It was uh, Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers and Shaggy inherited a, a southern plantation. And it was uh, that, that Shaggy was part of the Beauregard um, <laughs> estate, that he was like a distant relative. And he was left this haunted place. In, so he was uh, one of the, so. ha-
2: the haunted house guys. Yeah. So okay. which
1: was hilarious, too. So, I mean, nowadays they would cancel Shaggy for that. Shaggy was part of slave owning antebellum culture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But to contrast, again, with Robert E. Lee here, who I think is a pretty interesting guy to um, try to line up against Sherman for the contrast point. Um, Robert E. Lee had been asked to head up the Union Army, but was unable to choose uh, to fight against uh, his native Virginia. That was his famous quote. I cannot uh, bear arms against Virginia. So Sherman, uh, in a contrast to that resigned from his post at lsu because he refused to be a part of anything hostile towards the united states because they were starting to use the military institute down there at lsu now, again it wasn't named lsu yet at this point no no but um his military school down there they were trying to have um, arsenals surrendered over to them from uh, people that were leaving you know federal troops that were leaving the south right so and he was that, disgusted that's really what, that.
2: what fort Sumter was all about because the, the southern the south carolina boys wanted to take over whatever um, fortifications were along near coasts and, you know, Fort Sumter was a federal fortification that uh, they were bombarding the, mm-hmm. the feds. I mean, that was really the, the start of the of the war when you're firing upon your your own government.
1: Well, uh, so Sherman's out. So the same. And again, in the complete opposite fashion, Robert E. like, I can't put the nation first over Virginia. Sherman goes, I can't put LSU, you know, we're calling it that loosely, uh, over um, the United States. I'm just against anything hostile towards the United States of America. Sherman then gets a chance to meet with now President Lincoln during his inauguration week. I mean, that's a pretty prestigious time to be talking to uh, any president, let alone possibly the most famous of all time. Um, He gets a chance to even, you know, get a little talking time with him and mentions to Lincoln. He goes, President Lincoln, um, the North is extremely underprepared for this war effort. Um, I don't think it's going to go good right now. You really need to start activating some people here. I think you're in for a good, hard, long fight against the South. And Lincoln's just like, whatever, dude. (laughs) (laughs) He said, uh, no, uh, Lincoln apparently was unresponsive uh, at the time.
2: Yeah. You got to remember, too, that uh, during your inauguration week at that time, everybody and his brother was coming at you for looking for looking for a government position. And oh, yeah. This is just one more. Now, Fort Sumter hadn't been fired upon by that yet, but he left LSU, um, what would be later become LSU. He left his superintendentship in Louisiana and then moved back uh, into Missouri. Um, and um, as early as May... Another
1: border state, by yeah, the way.
2: another... As early as May then, he rejoined the Army. And, um, you know, he, he's... Uh, He's having kids and everything else, but um, he is once the firing on Fort Sumter, he rejoins the army. He's, he is given a position as brigadier general of volunteers in August of that year. Um, and That's a weird thing, too, that a lot of people don't realize. You didn't have normal standing armies. You had a lot of volunteers because one of the first things that Lincoln did was call for 75,000 volunteers. And that's what Sherman was trying to point out to him, that you're going to need a lot more guys than just 75,000 volunteers to put this Not even just
1: 75,000. It was the original announcement was... We need 75,000 troops for three months so that we can quell this rebellion. So P90X, essentially, right? Yeah. But for putting down the Confederacy. Right. And it wasn't quite that simple, man. And Sherman mocked him, too, because originally they offered him a couple of spots within the War Department. And he turned him down because he just didn't think he was the right fit for it. He didn't like what they were doing. But... Um, eventually he winds up getting uh, back into the army thanks to his reputation and his connections again with his father-in-law slash foster father, however you want to refer to him.
2: And brothers and brothers-in-law. and, and Oh, everybody. Or, yeah. A lot
1: of good people <coughs> on, uh, on both sides of the, uh, well, sides of the family there. But, yeah, and uh, when
2: you had the former president's entire cabinet at your wedding, there's you're, you're a few people that you might be able to call upon.
1: That's where the reputation comes in. So uh, he earns a, a high appointment in the uh, U.S. Army. Uh, Sherman actually performs admirably and quite bravely during the Union defeat at the First Battle of Bull Run, a.k.a. Manassas, over in Virginia. So um, the country, the press, who we're going to cover a little bit here, too, uh, Lincoln and most Confederates all disagreed with Sherman's assessment that the war was going to be long and costly. They all felt like this thing could be over in a couple of weeks, if not maybe this afternoon here at battle, you know, uh, the Battle of Manassas or Bull Run, depending on it. By the way, if you're from the north, you call it Bull Run. If you're from the south, you call it Manassas. Right. I think Manassas is the town. Bull Run was the creek. Something yeah, like that.
2: That, that. that goes throughout through the rest of the war that oftentimes the north would call the battle as to its geographic position to a to a town or something where the south would call it to the nearest a water or a river or whatever it might be. Yeah, a geographical uh, so
1: point. They would call it the Battle of Eatontown. We would call it the Battle of Ming's Place. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <that's> a, <laughs> there you go. So um, now, again, the uh, this is to just to prove to you because a lot of people um, don't understand because we understand that the Civil War took a long time. Back then, they really did think it was going to be over in kind of maybe an afternoon. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but they thought that certainly the uh, most of the shots would be fired by then, and then all the, oh, they'll come to the table after this. There were literally people setting up picnic lunches to watch the first battle of Bull Run.
2: Yeah, they thought this was, hey, all all we need is a bunch of guys for three months or so, and we'll put this thing down. And wouldn't it be exciting to go out and see the the, the land battle, you know, see our brave soldiers in glorious battle? Well, yeah, it became a. A, a definite shit show for the Union, that's for sure.
1: I remember when uh, Dad used to just pile us kids in the car and we'd go over and watch the first Gulf War together as a family.
2: <laughs> there you go. We'll bring a picnic lunch. Well, the uh, the Union would lose that battle. We'll get a bucket of chicken from, a... <laughs> from the
1: colonel just to keep it in the southern attitude. Yeah, we can get glow sticks, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, the Union would lose that battle. They lost most of the early battles of the war. As anyone with uh, some history background knows, uh, the Union will change commands several times, whereas the Confederates have strong leadership to begin with because they, they do have all the best generals. It's not up for debate. The best generals are, are they seemingly would wind up being fighting for the Confederacy because the the tradition of um, well, some, where some of the institutes were located. Right. And then uh, just the the southern military tradition, which exists to this day, by the way.
2: Yeah. And again, it's it's there's an army of volunteers and then there's an army of regular army and On both sides, regular Army guys, the vast majority of them came out of West Point. So there were other military institutions like uh, Virginia VMI, and uh, there there were other military institutions. But the one that uh, put out the most uh, commanders, if you will, was clearly West Point. So a lot of these guys either went to class or graduated with them or at least knew of one another in the four years that they spent at West Point. So they all knew one another. And um, again, different contacts uh, would help serve um, now that we're in the shooting war. One of the guys that um, Sherman came in contact with in his time spent out in California was uh, a guy by the name of Henry Halleck. Now, Halleck was a, a big shot within the War Department. Uh, actually, was put in charge of the entire uh, the entire deal there briefly. Again, there was a... There was a whole parade. It was a revolving door of uh, union generals or leaders uh, at that point in time. But uh, Henry Halleck uh, wasn't so much the great military battlefield commander. He was more of a um, um, numbers guy. Well,
1: Why don't you say what his nickname was and let the people at home decide?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, his nickname Halleck's nickname was old brains. He was a brilliant guy. I think he was third in his class. He was another West Point grad. before Sherman got there, so he's older than Sherman. But uh, you know, Halleck certainly knew of Sherman and Old Brains. He was a brilliant guy, but uh, nobody liked him. He was a pain in the ass. He was uh, he was uh, real short with his uh, subordinates and everything else. And he had a lot of subordinates that would later go on to become uh, quite influential guys like. Sherman, like William Sherman and uh, Ulysses S. Grant, they were they all served at one point under Halleck, that he was in charge of them. But Halleck kind of left the, the battlefield uh, aspect to them because he didn't want to <laughs> you know whether he didn't want to be identified as uh, the guy because the Union was losing battles left and right. The, the, the start of the war uh, did not go very well with the, with the Union. So whether he tried to back off a step or two from uh, all these various battles that went Wrong for the union. And, and, you know, well, it wasn't my fault. It was my subordinate's fault. And, you know, I, I put him in charge and he. the
1: he early loved. union is the Jets to the South's, uh Belichick, Brady Patriots.
2: <laughs> there you go. They Absolutely. just seem to
1: have things working. Now, the Belichick being Robert E. Lee, Brady being a former teacher at the aforementioned Virginia Military Institute, guy by the name of uh, Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, he's over there, too. So. um <laughs> Battles in Virginia, not really going well. They're mostly Southern victories. Uh, and as Sherman is predicting, the South is getting off to a great start. They are running up the score right now. It's not going good. Lee actually wouldn't have a mishap, a true mishap, if you will, until he moved north into Gettysburg, which is years later. So there's a bit of a forgotten portion of the war here. What do you, uh,
2: no, I'm just saying that you know we wanna, um, most of the war that people of the Civil War that people know about are probably going to be in the Eastern campaign. And. Very little um, is known about the the uh, the Western campaign. And that's where um, Sherman is put. Um, he's asked for a position. He doesn't want to be <laughs> to put it in modern terms. He doesn't want to be Spock. He wants to be he doesn't want to be Kirk. He wants to be Spock. He wants to be second in command. Uh, Halleck puts him out in uh, the Department of the Cumberland and he's serving under a guy, uh, Anderson, the same Anderson that was at um, um the start of this whole thing with Fort Sumter. Um, but then he quick Anderson resigns. So Sherman didn't want to be the, the head guy, um, but then he's put in second in command. But then the head guy resigns. So what happens? He gets elevated up to the position that he didn't want. Um, he's out in Kentucky and Missouri, which was key because those were border states. And, you know, half the half the state went with the south, half the state went with the north. Uh, He goes out there and he's trying to uh, save that part of the country for the union. But uh, he quickly realizes that, uh, hey, he's outnumbered here and he starts calling for um, more and more troops. And matter of fact, he. He's constantly pleading for more troops, more men, more supplies, because he realizes that this is we're going to we're in this for the long haul. This isn't going to be any quick three months position. And at this point in time, we've already seen how bad it's gone for the union. Um, but he calls for 200,000 troops to be sent out to the uh, Kentucky, Missouri area. And people are like, what are you freaking nuts? There's no way we can we can you don't need two hundred thousand. two hundred thousand. That's that's. We're going to have these guys wiped out. Well, you know his his constant complaining, if you will, and plea for more help and more men, more supplies. That people start saying, "Oh, this guy's nuts and he's just a, a, a crybaby." And some of the newspaper reporters get a hold of this that this guy's calling for two hundred thousand. That's absolutely insane. And he's and then somebody else picks another newspaper guy picks up on that and says, "Oh, this guy is." He's nuts. He's crazy. He's insane. And he starts to um, get a picture painted of him that he is absolutely nuts. Now, whether it was, uh, you know, overwrought uh, with anxiety or wrought that. But uh,
1: we well, again, keep in mind, he doesn't like the bustling cities of San Francisco, which I can uh, I can attest to that I'm not a huge fan of uh, being in i can find a city overwhelming sometimes so he's got that now he used to say that he could handle the stresses of battle but he didn't like the city but now imagine trying to plan out all this stuff here he's having doubts about his own ability to command he's having uh uh, questions about the the quality of the men that are serving underneath him he's having all. so literally the guy's brain caves in on himself so now out in the west we're talking about uh the union's two greatest generals are coming out of the western theater of the war here right and that's going to be uh Sherman, who obviously we've been talking about here, and Uli- former uh, – I'm sorry, uh, future president uh, in their timetable, Ulysses S. Grant. The two of these guys are going to be very close. They're almost like a dynamic duo of sorts, which I'm very excited to hit this pop culture reference. Sherman is the uh, – Sherman is the rigs to Ulysses S. Grant's Murtaugh, and this is <laughs> Lethal Weapon Civil War era, Okay. <laughs> Now, why is Sherman Riggs in this scenario? Well, for starters, it's because he legitimately, at this point, as you've kind of laid the groundwork for, Dad, goes fucking crazy. He gets relieved of command by his good friend, Halleck, this this General Halleck, has to relieve him of command and sends him back to Ohio and goes, Dude, just go home, chill out for yeah, a little take, bit.
2: Take a little you're, R&R. You're fried, Riggs, Whoa.
1: you know? Yeah. Go talk to a therapist. But
2: I've got an awesome casting
1: couch. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Well, while he's out in Kentucky, uh, again, he's experiencing these doubts. He gets sent home back to Ohio. And uh, you know it's bad when – because Halleck probably – the last thing Halleck would want to do is send his own friend home. But if you're that concerned about somebody uh, and their mental health and their mental well-being around this time frame, it has to be bad. So in 1861, he gets sent back to Ohio where Sherman experiences total depression. And by his own memoir, says he even debated suicide. That's how bad it had gotten for him. And his wife was getting concerned because she thought that it was a genetic thing. She wrote to one of his biological siblings and goes, the melancholy that affects your family is is deeply gripping my husband at this time. So thanks to his wife and a lot of other people and just getting away from it all for a little bit, getting on an R&R.
2: Yeah, take a breath.
1: Yeah, he so the guy literally comes back from the brink of suicide, having a total mental collapse. And the papers are mocking him still nonstop. Oh, crazy Sherman. Sherman's nuts, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, Several weeks later, he is able to endure the criticism and returns to the West and is deemed fit for command. During this venture to the West uh, is where he starts hanging out with his future pal. Again, the the Murtaugh to uh, his rigs, uh, Ulysses S. Grant. The two prove an effective pairing and start putting together a string of victories in their staunch offense in the West. This would include one of Sherman's redeeming moments and one of Grant's shining accomplishments. I'm excited to say this part. If you don't know, if you retain nothing else from the episode, this part's worth knowing. The Battle of Shiloh. The first day, the Union is caught completely off guard. In part because Sherman was like, there's no way that the Confederates would move on uh, us right now. And he didn't really reinforce his lines. He goes – he even wrote to his wife. He goes, if I reinforced the lines like I thought about doing, they would have called me crazy again and I would have gotten relieved from command.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And with that whole thing, too, um, Halleck is the guy that actually has to give the final seal of approval on whatever the battle plan might be. And Ulysses S. Grant is a guy. He's a slugger. He wants to just go at him. um, But he has to – pass that by with Halleck's approval, as I said before. Um, they go down, uh, down river. Again, the, the rivers are really what is being able to move large armies at that point. Um, so they go down river to a place called Pittsburgh Landing, um, where Grant is in charge of that particular wing of the army. There was another guy that was going to follow, Buell, that was going to follow up with them. And Halleck insisted upon... All of his people coming together at one time. Meanwhile, now Grant is down in Pittsburgh Landing, which would later become known as Shiloh. And um, there is a Confederate general, a really good guy, a really uh, important general, a um, quality general, um, Sidney Albert um, Johnston. He realizes that the Union is coming for him. And it's better to hit a piece of the Army that Grant is now leading before the entire Union Army comes together and comes after him. So rather than retreat or dig in, um, uh, Old Sydney attacks. And on, on that first day, he overruns the Union position. Um, and that's where Sherman's uh, people were at, that, uh, you know, they, they get swept the first day did not really go well, but Sherman is credited with fighting an organized retreat. In other words, you're retreating, but you're you're taking uh, you're taking some people out. You're you're not just running away. You're right. You're, you're still swinging. You're still punching. As Leaving some scars behind. Right. You're still punching. as And you preserving your boys, too. Right. That,
1: that's the other important thing here.
2: And then later that night, um, Sherman um, meets up with Grant. Grant arrives on on the scene and realizes what went on that day. And then, uh, you know, Sherman had enough sense to, uh, um, the two of them meet that night and develop a, a battle plan for the next day that, you know, yeah, we, t- we took some licks today, but wait till tomorrow, we're, we're coming back punching. So they counterattack the next day and they actually win the battle. And uh, Sidney Albert Johnston, there's a lot of Johnsons on the Southern side, but Sidney Albert is actually killed in that first day battle. So uh, and his second in command is not the aggressive type that uh, old Sidney was. And you well, uh, want
1: to talk about aggressive, too, by the way. Uh, Sherman, in that day's day two of the Battle of Shiloh's counterattack, as I recall, um, had three horses shot out from underneath him and was moon, uh, multiple grazing bullet wounds. Right. Like like he an inch to the left or right. And yeah, uh, he wasn't you know, uh, he ain't making it.
2: He wasn't, you know, six miles back behind the front lines. Uh, moving uh, chess pieces around. This was was no Lloyd and (laughs) Freddendall. He he was in the thick of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, uh, now the the papers still aren't overly... uh, This is important, too, because that first battle at Shiloh uh, is a major move for the Confederacy to finally understand, like, ooh, the West might not be um, as easy as we thought it was going to be. But the papers still aren't overly kind to the Union generals. While Sherman got some redemption via the press, and Grant was clearly seen as a rising star of the Federal Army, uh, some papers made sure to mention that the troops out in the Western campaign were being led by a drunk and a lunatic. So they called Grant a drunk and Sherman as a lunatic. So that's your um, kind of the, the, again, your rigs and your Murtaugh thing. Going yeah, but
2: attitudes here. are changing now because Grant had some successes prior to Shiloh with the Battle of uh, Fort Donelson and, uh, and others. And then Shiloh, although that first day, you know. Was really went to the Confederates the second day with the Union's counterattack. It was a a Union victory that those Southerners were driving back to Corinth, which was a a very important uh, location south of the Battle of Shiloh that uh, would uh, then go on later on that Halleck then moves up additional forces. Um, The second wing of his army, if you will, moves up. Sherman is very much involved with the Battle of Corinth that uh, and Grant is still involved. That they're they're starting to win some stuff in the West. It's not going very well in the East, um, but uh, things are now starting to go to the Union's uh, Union side in the West with uh, Grant and Sherman uh, doing the punching.
1: Got victories at the uh, the Siege of Vicksburg, uh, victory over in Chattanooga, victory at Chickamauga. Uh, it's all furthering the men's reputations. Grant is clearly being tapped for bigger things. Lincoln is tired of firing his generals, but continues to do so on the regular. Uh, General George Meade, who just successfully around the same time as Vicksburg, uh, the siege of Vicksburg, I should say, um, being lifted, uh, successfully beat Lee at Gettysburg. Right. He finds yeah. himself being criticized by the president. Well, a great victory, but you didn't chase after them. He what the hell? Dude?
2: Right. Yeah. he so. had the victory at Gettysburg. Meade mm-hmm. had a victory at Gettysburg, which was in, again in Pennsylvania. That was in the east that you were able to beat back Bobby Lee, but you didn't go after him, that you had you pursued, you might have ended this whole thing. Um, Grant had a major victory with Sherman's assistance uh, at Vicksburg, and that was huge because that then gave the Union control of the Mississippi. So basically what you're doing is you're, you're dividing and you're conquering the South, you're dividing it up, that all of those Southern states that were um, west of the Mississippi, are now no longer able to come over into the east. That you're controlling the Mississippi, you're controlling the river, you're con- you're really controlling that whole section of the country, and that whole attitude of dividing and conquering. Well, once you um, once you take Vicksburg, the next big key and the second largest city in the South at the time was uh, Atlanta, and then Sherman goes on with uh, the battle plan with, that he and uh, Grant devised well, to a good take quote. Atlanta.
1: Yeah, speaking of that, a good quote here. Grant winds up getting placed in charge of the armies in the East. Sherman would take command of a large force in the West. The two are keeping in constant contact with one another. And uh, once Grant was established up east, Sherman writes to him, "If you can whip Lee up east, and I can march to the Atlantic, I think old Uncle Abe is going to give us about twenty days leave to go see the little ones." So, <laughs> so I'm about getting the better part yeah. of a month off here.
2: Yeah, with with Grant's uh, victory at uh, at um, Vicksburg, um, um, he is then promoted, and and is brought back east and promoted to be. Um, the guy that's in charge of the whole shooting match, the, the East and the West. Meade just won the victory at Gettysburg, but act, now Meade is actually under Grant. Um, so that was kind of a, a sketchy thing. But
1: Grant's you know, head coach now, and I'm going right. to call, um, he's gonna call, call Sherman of, as his offensive coordinator. He's got a lot of
2: quality assistant coaches for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got... Um, Meade uh, in the east and he's leaving Sherman in the west and they had devised up a a battle plan as to how we're going to take this thing going forward that once we take Vicksburg we now control the Mississippi that's huge now we're going to go down to Atlanta because that's a major of the little manufacturing that's going on in the south a lot of it is happening in and around Atlanta plus there's a whole lot of railroads coming into Atlanta so a lot of uh, material supplies um, that is supplying Lee's army in the east in Virginia. Really, are coming through, uh, coming through Atlanta. So, if you can control Atlanta, you're really dividing the whole thing up. Um, and Sherman uh, is able to take Atlanta, and then quickly after that. And I mean, that's a that's a huge thing. That was credited with probably what pushed. Um, Lincoln into uh, his second term that with all these victories that they're now finally racking up. That,
1: the plan's starting to right, work.
2: That um, the the plan is now starting to work. And then they devised up a plan um, prior to. Well, let me Grant give a, a time
1: East. frame here if I yeah, can. So yeah, sure. May of 1864, mm-hmm. Sherman's going to wind up marching on Atlanta. Uh, this a four month period of time that they're making this move onto to Atlanta. There's four months of skirmishing and engaging in small pitched gunfights with Confederate General Hood. General Hood was kind of the guy, the last man standing in Atlanta, if you will. Sherman's able to take the city from Atlanta, which is a.k.a. New York City South. It's a major hub, if not the major hub. It's still debated if the city is destroyed more so by the Confederates so that the Union couldn't use it because the burning of Atlanta is that famous scene from Gone with the Wind. Right. Yep. Um and the uh, but it, what's worse is that the Confederates burning the place so the union can't get any benefit from it or is the union just coming in there and destroying the place because you bastards you've made us you know, taking us away from our family stuff like that uh, around this time frame is when Sherman's implementing something known as total war. So total war is um, exactly what it sounds like that is a scorched earth policy that's leave destroy everything you are the four horsemen you are bringing the plague and. Um, Sherman's a fascinating guy here, too, because remember what we said earlier? Why would you like the press if the press was being unkind to you all the time and calling you a lunatic and second guessing your yeah. moves? So what does he do? He bans reporters from his camp.
2: Right. You're not allowed to come. <laughs> Sorry, dude. There, there'll be no embedded journalists in.
1: in his <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no chance for a Geraldo Rivera moment. Right. right. But, uh His men backpacked with him. They take everything. Literally, he goes dark. This is the coolest thing here. If you apply a modern context to this, imagine a huge portion of the army in the West just goes dark now. No clue where they are. The reporters aren't able to put anything, communications back and forth. They unleash Sherman. This total war policy means that they're burning everything in their path. The people of Georgia are going nuts. Like there's literally the the Mongols are coming. That's kind of what's going (laughs) on. Right. I mean,
2: and and that is... A, a plan that was devised um, by Lincoln and Grant uh, well Grant and Sherman with Lincoln's approval that if we're going to beat these guys we, we have to take out their, their supplies that uh, all of this stuff is coming up out of the deep south to support uh, Lee in the east on the, uh, you know, in Virginia and that type of a thing. And just by taking Atlanta, you're pretty far south. You're, you're in Georgia now. And you know your supply lines are are stretched pretty far out. Again, you're coming down the Mississippi and all that type of a thing. But you're you're really extended. And now, what does Sherman do? Is he devises this total war thing that he's going to go from Atlanta, Georgia, and just head east. But nobody and because there's no journalists, there's no communication. The North didn't know where he was really going. Um, You know, they had a a plan devised, but, you know, he leaves Atlanta with uh, 60,000 guys and he splits the army really in two because you can't move 60,000 men in one single line formation. You know, the, the, the roads just wouldn't handle it. So he's taken two forks, really. And these guys are probably about 30 miles apart. But now the swath that they're cutting going through northern Georgia is probably about 60 miles wide. So as they're leaving Atlanta and heading towards who knows where at that point, turns out they were heading towards the Atlantic Ocean. But there was no way of knowing where exactly they were because, you know, you weren't intercepting telegraph communication or anything like that. And anything that was a valuable value to the south um, was either being taken for their own supplies because they had no supply lines. There was no supply lines coming out of Atlanta. Um, they were living off the land. So they were um, just picking the various farms clean of anything, livestock, um, uh, forage for the, uh, for the horses. Um,
1: Borderline piracy is what's yeah, going it, on. It, if, it's
2: if Mongol it, hordes. If it had value to the army, to feed the army as it's moving across Georgia, or if it had value to the Southerners, you're not going to leave it behind. So you're either taking it for your own consumption or you're destroying it. You're burning it. So, a- <laughs> um, you know, and they're tearing up railroads. Uh, one of the uh, things that Sherman became famous for is Sherman's neckties, that if you rip up the railroad, somebody could come in later on and take those rails and just replace them and put them back and, and put them back into position. Um, so what Sherman does is he's ripping up the railroads, but then creating these huge bonfires with the railroad ties, setting the rails into these bonfires, and then taking the two the rails and twisting them around trees. So try they, putting
0: together that shit. Exactly. Yeah. So
2: try to unbend that shit. Fuck and put your it back couch. Down and down. Right. So they became known as Sherman's neckties. That you know, it's it's not going to be easily replaced if. Your railroad is now twisted around that tree. Um, you know, that, that's not that ain't going to happen. So, um,
1: we got to be out of here for a little after five is the, the aim on that one. So we're going to. Uh, OK, we're, we're picking we're up. The, no, you did a great job uh, breaking um, that one down.
2: He, he just creates a 60 mile wide swath going through Georgia, which is one of the reasons why today in northern Georgia, he's probably still noted as the most hated man ever. Um, He's a cursed word. He's a cursed word in in northern Georgia. Um, But he arrives uh, shortly before Christmas on December the 22nd. Sherman's troops show up outside of Savannah, Georgia, uh, which he easily captures. He easily occupies that without really firing a shot. Doesn't destroy Savannah, um, uh, which is one of the things. But he makes um, the city of Savannah a Christmas present to President Lincoln. Uh, on december the 22nd
1: yep sends him a telegraph and delivers a uh, good old city which by the way when you go to savannah one of the most beautiful places on planet earth um the locals there like to think that sherman was charmed by the city so that's why he didn't burn he goes this is a really nice place out here
2: <laughs> yeah and it was one of the things too that w- one of the reasons why he divided his troops his sixty thousand guys in two different forks that the confederates had no idea where he might where he might be heading is it going to be savannah is is he going to turn south is he going to turn north and come up behind uh bobby lee um you know so they were guessing and even when asked uh, uh, newspaper reporters and stuff were asking lincoln hey where where is uh, where's sherman at because nobody knew he was in the dark uh he was out in the dark and and, uh, lincoln had a, a famous quote I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was like, well, he went down a hole and we're not sure where he's going to pop up. (laughs) (laughs) So he wasn't giving away any secrets either. But
1: now uh, post Savannah, he winds up moving towards uh, the north. So he now moves into the Carolinas. And again, this is where he's actually almost considered more barbaric than what he did in Atlanta, because the entire city of Columbia, South Carolina, gets burned to the ground in his wake. I mean, he is he's again, total war is being waged here. Now, at the same time, when he gets over to towards uh, North Carolina, that's when he finally gets word. Remember, it's back then. It's, you're not getting a text message. Twitter's not putting out uh, updates to let you know. Um, he gets the information that, oh, by the way, your boy Grant just uh, accepted the official surrender of Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia. So right. the war's not over. Right. Right. But Appomattox Courthouse has gone down. So,
2: so yeah. And when he arrives at Savannah, uh, Secretary of War Stanton actually comes into Savannah and they have a little powwow um, while he's in Savannah. Before, Sherman then turns north and comes up through, uh, through the Carolinas. Um, and while he's in Savannah, Sherman also has a, a powwow uh, once again with Grant and Lincoln. Prior to Lee's surrender, I mean, things are going bad for the South at this point. I mean, their days are numbered. Clearly, their days are numbered. Well, shit, it's over at this point. And they had a uh, a meeting aboard a ship um, to kind of discuss how are we going to handle the Confederates' surrender? You know, are we really going to put the hammer down on them? Is it going to be unconditional surrender? Because that's where Grant's, you know, he, he got this whole... Uh, nickname of Unconditional Surrender Grant, U.S. Grant. But, uh, you know, Lincoln was very much to be a uh, easy, e- go, go easy on him, because we're going to have to accept these guys back into the union. We're going to have to make nice, nice, and, and and we're here to make the union whole again. So we have to ex- eventually accept these guys back into the union. So surrender terms, if you will, were kind of agreed upon at that meeting, but um, Um, Sherman goes back into Savannah, then takes his army and moves north up through the Carolinas. Now, they're really going to beat the crap out of uh, South Carolina because that's where the whole war started. And it's in the Carolinas, like you say, Kev, where he finally gets word that Lee has surrendered to Grant. And then um, Johnston is the guy that's now wanting to surrender to Sherman. Um, But this is now after Lee has already surrendered and he offers them very favorable conditions, and then Stanton goes nuts because they've already assassinated Lincoln at this point, too. So, um,
0: shit just keeps crumbling.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much. It's going bad. So, it, once you shoot your president, once you shoot Lincoln, once you assassinate Lincoln,
0: we're not going to have
2: we're not going to have any nice, nice with with these guys. You know, screw them. We're, they're surrendering or that's it. There's not going to be no any, more tea any, parties, any more political appointments. <laughs> well, literally yeah. and
0: figuratively.
1: Well, uh, again, and not to rush here at the end, but essentially we're at the end of the interesting portion of Sherman's life here. There's a couple of footnotes that we want to make. So. Uh, That total war policy that he is famous and infamous for, for uh, waging down in uh, the South, where, again, he's still a cursed word. Um, He's going to unfortunately take that and apply that to the Native American, the Plains Indian Wars. So the major tribes out there, are the Kiowa, the Comanche, the Cheyenne and the Lakota, who under Sherman's policies, uh, which would include, by the way, the widespread killing of buffalo. I mean, you were you were telling me earlier, Dad, right? That's just kill yeah. them all, st- essentially starve them out because that's they made they're living off the buffalo.
2: Civil War is one. Everybody's into a land speculation kind of a thing. Let's move west. Well, what's the big what's the big uh, roadblock to that is the Native Americans? Um, Grant becomes president. His popularity soars, at least in the North, he becomes president and Grant appoints Sherman as his main army guy. So he's in charge of uh, the army. Not bad for a lunatic and yeah, a drunk, not, right? Not bad for a lunatic <laughs> and a drunk. I mean, they did they did pretty well for themselves.
0: Now the crazies are running the asylum. Right.
2: Pretty much. So now uh, how are you going to take care of these, this Native American Indian population that are still at war with us or at least fighting the railroads and everything else from going out? And it's a total war thing. Well, what is the Indian culture based upon? It's the buffalo. Well, the best way of, of getting rid of their supply lines is to slaughter all the buffalo. So Sherman devises this whole plan that, you know, let's invite every sportsman from America, from England and everything else. And you can you can uh, shoot as many buffalo as you want and just leave them there just for the sport of uh, killing something. So they virtually drive the the buffalo to near extinction, which also drives the Native Americans onto a reservation and and become you know, no longer a, a threat yeah. to the uh, also American Tristan
1: movement. Vedrero. Just quick note. Shut the fuck up. Stop calling me while I'm in the studio. All right, fair <laughs> enough. But no, but again, these nomadic people now get um, uh, essentially reduced down to their. Uh, so he's not fondly remembered for his Native American policies. He's not fondly remembered for what happened with the American Buffalo, which, by the way, they have had such a, an amazing conservation effort with. Um, yeah, the, the, the South has some problems with this guy. But he retires from the army. I think this is worth noting here. I got a couple exit notes and we'll uh, we'll we'll get on out of here so that the next uh, show can come in. Don't worry, they
0: haven't come busting down the door yet. So uh, as long as that don't happen,
1: uh, we're going to open the door. It's going to be someone very angry looking at us, though. Uh, (laughs) Sherman uh, (laughs) Sherman retires in 1884. Uh, Now, he's often thought of as a potential presidential candidate. But uh, they keep saying the Republicans like, hey, we had success with Grant, man. Let's run. uh, Let's run Sherman now. He's a war hero, right? And apparently the line that he had was. What a, do you want to say the line, Dad? It's fantastic. No, go ahead. If nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. So <laughs> essentially, <laughs> you shove right. it up your ass, dude. Take and this that, job yeah. and shove it.
2: And that whole line was used by other political hopefuls uh, later on in history, but that became as a Shermanesque, a Shermanesque <laughs> uh, uh, departure, if you will, from political appointment or political uh, nomination
1: couple little notes here on our way out uh, because we are finished up. And if you guys do want to support the show, $5 a month over a Patreon, you can get more access to the bonus episodes. It's worth it, people. And we don't have the time constraints on that one. That's the important thing here. Um, Sherman winds up. uh, He's living in New York City now. Uh, He actually is he develops a love for all things painting. He's a a public speaker. He's very sought after
2: big on the theater as well. Big
1: on very big on the theater. And then uh, also big literary guy becomes a huge fan of Shakespeare and uh, through correspondence and public speaking engagements becomes an honorary member of the Irving Literary Society as in Washington Irving, as in the guy who wrote Sleepy Hollow. All right. Um, There is a monument to uh, Sherman at the entrance of Central Park in Manhattan that literally you can see him i believe he's riding horseback it's a golden statue it's very cool looking um sherman joins uh in his later years an outdoor group called the boone and crockett club founded by take one wild guess kahuna wait a minute take one you know the answer to this question you you know it (laughs) don't be afraid was it our boy teddy The Boone and Crockett Club, founded by Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. Oh,
0: man. Yo, I'm two for two on this episode with guests.
1: So far, so good, man. (laughs) And then, uh, in summation, I'll throw back to you real quick, Dad, if you have anything. But uh, Sherman dies in New York on February 14th, 1891. What a bummer for Valentine's Day for his wife that year. Um, At age 71, he's buried in St. Louis in a final tribute from a former foe. Joseph E. Johnston, who, as my father said earlier, wanted to um, surrender to him, uh, to Sherman. He was a Confederate general who served as a pallbearer at Sherman's funeral. He refused to don a hat as a sign of respect to Sherman. He goes, I'm not putting a hat on because I'm going to respect Sherman. Johnson then catches a cold, which develops into pneumonia and dies two weeks later. Sherman finally killed him. <laughs> From beyond the grave. Damn. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. But that was that was the same Johnson that Sherman offered very favorable surrender terms to that Stanton, Secretary of War Stanton, would not have uh, anything to do with. I got to throw this out here because I, I came upon this, that when Sherman marched his famous march to the sea, uh, he arrives in Savannah shortly thereafter. Um, he's got uh, literally thousands, tens of thousands of uh Recently freed slaves or liberated slaves that are following him or following his army. The army was not able to take care of them. So now that we've got, you know, tens of thousands of these destitute uh, former slaves that are now flooding into the into the city and everything else. He has a meeting with uh, some of the uh, black leaders um, in Savannah. And they devised this whole plan of this. And and then Sherman issues a decree that became known as the 40 acres and a mule that I never knew really where that term came from. But that whole 40 acres and a mule was something that was suggested by the black leaders of the time, primarily religious leaders, that, uh, you know, we the black people want to take care of ourselves we don't want a handout we want to be given a property that we can farm ourselves so that whole 40 acres and a mule thing was a plan that was devised um with sherman's uh, oversight um it was started but then once they assassinated lincoln um and uh johnston president johnson came into power johnson was a southerner we another lose reception mm-hmm. here that um all of those plans for that whole forty acres and a mule plan um, for the recently freed slaves uh, was rescinded by President Johnson via executive and,
1: order, too. By, by the ex- way, via executive. So next order, time you hear so that, one, and you think it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that,
2: that never really came to play, but it was uh, it was our boy uh, Sherman, uh, William T. Sherman, that uh, really kind of enacted that. Uh, I think it was uh, Order Number Fifteen or something that. Uh, Came about with that 40 acres and a mule. I thought that was pretty cool. Execute that uh, order 66.
1: You know. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Real quick, I'm going to throw to the kahuna for a casting couch, and then we're out of here, folks.
0: All right. I got three options for you guys, and I got to turn the TV on if it's plugged in, which it's...
1: Great research, by the way, Dad. It's Thank not. you.
0: But anyway, so I wasn't necessarily going for looks with who I picked because I got three picks for you. You might know some names. You might not. Are you a Madman fan? Uh, I've seen it. John Slatery. Yep, was, I got
1: it. That makes sense. I,
0: I could see him kind of taking that role. Also in appearance, he kind of looked like him. Like <laughs> he, I, when I saw the picture of our boy, he had these really intense eyes. So that was kind of like my, my go-to.
1: It's there. I For see like it. That,
0: that, that look of just like I could snap at any fucking moment and still be able to lead an army. But then my other follow-up choice uh, was an actor named William Atherton.
1: Hang on, Walter, why do I
0: Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. No
1: shit. That's a... <laughs> It's if, true. This man has no dick.
0: <laughs> he more so in appearance, but also that like that chaotic energy to him cuz we like even when you watch Ghostbusters, you know as calm as Walter Peck is, you know underneath that there's a man just ready to break.
2: <laughs> so I was like, all right. He's on the edge. That's
0: pretty good. And then my My very last one, which I think I deleted by accident, but was the guy who played the villain in Billy Madison, but he was also- Yes,
1: I know who you're talking about. He was
0: also in Get Out very recently. I'm blanking on his name, Bradley Whitford. (laughs) But yeah, he could kill it. I'll show you pictures after the show, but people look these guys up. I think that they have that chaotic energy. I think any one of these three could knock it out. William would have to be more so in the 90s because he's a little older now. But, yeah, I think they could do
1: it. I'm going three for three on that one. And uh, Lawrence, Patrick, I want to say thank you for your deep research on this one. Again, man, it's good to have you back in the studio here. Um I love you, old man. Uh, Kahuna, back to have uh, good to have you back in the room, too, man. Um, we're going to wrap now because we got another show that's coming in here. I'm really sorry, Ming. I apologize for that. And, guys, if you want to support the show, check us out at American Loser Podcast or on Instagram and Facebook. And my name was K.P. Burke, and that was William Tecumseh Sherman, American, American Loser. loser.
0: <laughs> An American Loser, the day I was
2: born. An American Loser.
0: And loser the day I was born